Holly Cotton here, and you guys, I am so excited for today's show because one, I have our celebrity nurse that's going to be giving us some insight today on a bunch of topics. Nurse Alice Benjamin is a nationally board certified clinical nurse specialist and family nurse practitioner with over 25 years experience. She has specialized in critical care, emergency medicine, cardiovascular health. So yeah, put some respect on her name. She knows exactly what she's talking about. She's also the chief nursing officer at nurse.org, which is the largest online nursing media outlet, and NBC4, Los Angeles TV medical contributor. So whew, that I, I know that wore me out saying that. So I know, Nurse Alice, that's a lot that you have going on. So it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in today and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to jump into our conversation today. First, Nurse Alice, I know that we're going to talk about some other things, but the first thing that everyone, because people keep asking me as well as a nurse, is about this news break that has 7,600 fake nursing diplomas issued in Florida for whatever the reason is for. So first, like I told Nurse Alice before we started, I, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know if I'm mad about this. I don't know if I'm mad that that it's like a violation of 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 people that are now practicing nursing that didn't have to go through it or if I'm mad that I had to go through all the <laughs> regimen and I could have been practicing under a fake diploma all this time. So, Nurse Alice, like like we said, you you with all your background and all of the things that you do and and all of the the media that you you participate and give your expert opinion in, what's your opinion on this situation with the the fake nursing diplomas? Oh my okay. Okay, where do I start here? So, I will say this. As someone who's been nearly 25 years in the profession, this is so disappointing to me to see this. I'll be honest. It's very disappointing, especially since nurses have just been voted for the 21st year in a row, the most trusted, the most ethical profession, um, you know, for 21 years in a row. And then we see a story like this come like right on the tails of that. It can confuse the public. And we know that the public has already, especially during COVID, so much distrust um, has come out, um, even more so, right? Especially in communities of color. And so when you see a story like this, 7,600 fake diplomas. Um, and of that, I believe there's only 3,200 uh, of them have passed the boards and went on to become nurses. So let, let's, let's look at that number. And there are over 4 million nurses in, in the United States. So even though we shouldn't see anything, it's still a very small number of people who are practicing, but it's very discouraging. But I think things that have been left out of the media coverage is that these were small private colleges. So they're not like your big universities or anything like that. Um, and what's disheartening even more is that you had people who took the most trusted profession, the largest segment of the healthcare workforce, and to their for their own selfish reasons, tried to exploit it and more so exploit the people of attendance who were predominantly South Florida's Haitian American community. So you take people of uh, BIPOC community, people of so lower socioeconomic background, and people who just want to kind of get in the workforce and to work, if these people had, if these people charged and only used the, um, their positions to help recruit and funnel these people in the right way, 
we could have done so much more work. Instead, we're seeing these fake stories. People are running with it. The nursing profession is losing credibility. Um, it's painting a lot, inserting a lot more distrust. And, you know, I wish that wasn't the headline. And I want to see more stories bringing out the details of how this happened, what they actually did, because this should not be a blanket statement over all nurses. Like, did you go to school in Florida? Oh, you must be one of those nurses. That is not the case, guys. It's not the case. And we have a lot of, you know, smart, well-intended nurses who are licensed, who went to school, licensed, who are doing their best to take care of you. So please, please, please do not use this story to just blanket all nurses as and nursing schools as corrupt because they're not. It's just we had some bad apples in the bunch, but what profession doesn't have it? But I'm so salty about this story. I really yeah. I am. Well, first of all, let me just let y'all know that I have my master's degree in nursing from an accredited university. I promise you guys, I had to serve my time. You see these these two wrinkles and this gray, these gray hairs right here? This is all from nursing school trauma, <laughs> from having to study for the boards and all of yeah. that. So yeah, because nursing school is rigorous. It's rigorous and it's well... And let me just say this because people don't know. So with nursing schools, they must be um, approved by the Board of Registered Nursing. So every state has their board, which is um, basically overseen by the governor because the governor appoints people to the Board of Registered Nursing because it's meant to protect the public. And then you insert some nurses and nurse administrators, nurse educators on that board. And that board is supposed to oversee and approve programs. These are programs that says, hey, we want to teach nursing school. We want we want to prepare individuals to practice professionally and take care of the public. And the, the board, the BRN, sets these um, sets criteria to ensure safe gradu- you know, that graduates of these programs can be safe. And then there's further accreditation. So there are actually lots of layers in how to protect the public and make sure that nurse, um, nurse candidates are well prepared. But again, these were small universities who finagled the system, found a little loophole, finagled the system, and it's you know, they're, they're no longer in operation. So I'm, ho- I'm hopeful that this isn't existent in other states, but I'm sure every state is now going to go through a rigorous review of all their programs. So okay. I say that because I want the public to feel, you know, that all is not lost and that all of nursing is corrupt because we're um, guys, we're not, we're not. Right, right. And I actually look like I actually read some more about the article um, and and researched some more about about it or whatever. And they said that the nurses that were practicing were actually they were like in New York. They had some in Texas, some that were in Los Angeles. So wherever they got their however they got their licensure or whatever, like they actually were practicing in other states, not just Florida. So it is kind of something that, you know, like you said, it's only 3,200 that actually passed the NCLEX. Um, but because I, I can tell you, even with my nursing class, probably half of them failed the NCLEX. I'm like, oh my gosh, you went to school for all this time and you still failed the NCLEX. So they they definitely, the NCLEX ain't no joke. <laughs> so it's not agree, but they, <laughs> that was it. Right. And I think even though these uh, people watching said, even though they went to school in Florida, um, because of how licensure works, usually you apply for your state. So even if they applied for their state, and I believe Florida is a compact state. So even though you went to school in Florida, you can take a, a board in another state, you know, the reciprocity or um, licensure by endorsement. So if I take the NCLEX in Florida, I can apply to another state, you know, and after my license be endorsed. But all um, per this investigation, the FBI did say that it took all of the attendees and sent their names to each respective state. So each state knows that if this name comes across the table, 
red flag, red flag, you know, this is not going to move forward. So the attendees who participated, their names were shared with all those boards. So hopefully no one else slips through the crack with this. Right. So basically y'all had a good run. I hope y'all made y'all money while y'all because <laughs> it's over. <laughs> yes, it's over. Right, right. So Nurse Alice, what I wanted to now kind of just get into, I wanted to start off kind of catching that point because I, I know everyone is like asking about that since that's like one of the top things right there. But now I just want to take a step back and I want to just talk about you because you have a very unique platform in, in everything that you're doing. So can you tell us about how you went from just a regular nurse to a verified nurse Alice Benjamin that everyone wants to hear her expert opinion about things on? Well, you know, when, I, when people ask me that, I always think like, I really had no intentions and didn't set out to do that. Um, I was actually inspired to become a nurse because everyone has a personal story. So my dad, he actually died in the emergency room of a sudden cardiac arrest. And at that time, you know, it was a small community hospital in the hood. He didn't get the services, attention, or even the preventative care that he needed. And I know that now, right? And so I said, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the best cardiac nurse in the world. This is not going to happen to anyone else, especially in our community of color. And I kind of set on this charge to, especially around cardiovascular health, because we know that minority groups are severely impacted even more and have worse outcomes. So I set out to do this. And in doing this in practice, I did my... Um, my ministry, if you will, is to do a lot of community service. So I became an ambassador for the American Heart Association, later became a national spokesperson for them. And then that spilled out to me doing community presentations in churches and businesses, at school events, at the PTA meetings, like you name it. I was talking about heart health. And I was doing a community event. It was with a church um, and nobody wanted to get their blood pressure taken. So I was being engaging and you know, relating to the people, because there are certain things that I can say as a woman of color that maybe uh, a white male physician can't say, because I can be playful, because I know the story. I know what we eat on Sundays uh, after church. I'd like, I know. So anyways, I was creative and fun. And somebody from the American Heart Association approached me and said, Alice, you know what? You seem real engaging. You were able to get everyone over here. They were informed. They were entertained. Would you mind going on to KJLH Radio and talking about heart health? And so I did that and then it went well. And then they're like, can you come back and talk about strokes? And so I started doing KJLH radio, uh, which was a, is a large radio station here in Los Angeles. And so American Heart was sending me there. And then the KJLH producers, whenever a story on health would come up, they would invite me back. And then I started blogging. Y'all, this is back in the day before, before all of this, before social media hit now, I was doing blogs, okay, with websites and started doing this and recording myself. And then it just spilled out and I started posting stuff on social media or excuse me, on, on YouTube and other things. And next thing I know, as the producers at KJLH are moving around, it's a small network, producers talk. And then they say, oh, I know someone who can talk about health. And I just, my name just kept coming up, coming up. And it spilled into different radio opportunities and then television opportunities started coming my way. And I was no way, no prepared because I didn't study journalism or media. I just kind of fell into it and literally learned as I went. Um, and then I started doing like local television. I started doing some national shows. I'll say my first national, my first show was American Live with Megan Kelly. 
on Fox News live in the morning. I had no idea what I was walking into. No idea, not prepared. But because I was passionate about health, I just stayed true to what I knew and what I wanted the public to know. And after I started doing a couple of things, I took a, I took some journalism courses, some reporter courses, because I also wanted to be, since I was ta- toggling the fence between being a health expert and being now in media, I wanted to be prepared. It's like working in a hospital and just orienting to the unit that I'm on. I needed to just know the lay of the land, the the politics, how things are done. And so that kind of just spilt over and I just kept at it and just talking about the things that I'm passionate about. And I swear I did not realize that I was going to end up where I am today, which is a, the medical contributor for NBC for Los Angeles, which is the second largest market to um, second to New York. And you know, I'm just talking about things I'm passionate about as a nurse, things that I would want to tell my friends and families to better take care of themselves and also to represent communities of colors because the idiosyncrasies of healthcare that specifically impact us and impact us differently, those stories don't get told all the time unless it's Black History Month or something like that. And I needed those type of things to get out in the forefront. So um, that is, that's my story. Like sometimes I don't even know how I got here. I just like blinked and I'm here. Um, but I've I've had a fun um, I've had a fun run and I'll also say I've also been, um, targeted because I'm a black female on television. People felt like I wasn't, I don't know. It, it's, it's these people that sometimes felt like I wasn't being, um, representative of everyone. And I'm a human, right? Just like if we all bleed red blood, but there are certain things that are specific to African-Americans, to people of color that we need to talk about it's the elephant in the room but it never gets talked about so it was finally getting the opportunity to tell these stories and especially during covid i think during covid i did television literally every day several times during the during the week and it was really an opportunity to one represent women on television represent communities of color on television and tell the stories because we all know that covid really it 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 let the world know how more so uh, and reveal the disparities in healthcare. Why were black and brown people dying of COVID more? And then it kind of allowed us to look at other things. And so it's just been a really great journey being able to use my education and training. Again, I've been in nursing for over 25 years. Uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I work in the emergency room now. Prior to that, I was working as a clinical nurse specialist um, in critical care, specializing in cardiovascular health. So I've always worked in the areas where people are likely to die. So don't tell me that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not just sitting in the office. I'm not just trying to be pretty for TV or anything like that. I'm literally telling you real HIPAA compliant, obviously, but sharing important stories from the bedside, from the front lines. And these are the things that reporters, you know, they can have health beats and things like that. They can be very passionate, but there's something different about someone who has, who's actually taking care of people in these life or death situations and who comes from a community and has firsthand experience with her father dying in the emergency room because of the disparities in healthcare and community outreach. You know, I I love all of that nurse Alice. And, And I will tell you this. I say exactly what you're saying all the time. First of all, just, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to talk about the minority part. I'm just going to talk from the woman part because people are like, well, you sound like, sometimes you sound like you, you know, you're a feminist or you feel like, I feel like you're man bashing. And I'm like, first of all, 
when I'm talking, I'm not even talking to men, for men or whatever. I am talking as a woman in my perspective, in my point of view. Now, if you're sensitive to it because you have whatever's going on with you, that's not my problem. I'm, I don't need to address that. But I will tell you as a woman, I am going to highlight women. I am going to mm -hmm. support women. I am going to pull, especially a minority woman, because it's not easy. I don't care how much Holly Cotton stuff I have going on. When I walk in a room, if someone doesn't know me, I have to constantly be proving that I, I should be, I should have a spot in that room, that what I'm saying is valid, that I'm smart, that I know what I'm talking about. So, you know, people just don't understand that. And, and like you said, you know, whenever people are saying that, oh, well, it's all she's talking about is, is black culture. All she's talking about is this. But yes, because there is an issue there. There is a disparity there. So there is a need. We need Nurse Alice to tell y'all to quit eating fried chicken. And, <laughs> and, and. Well, see, what I'm going to tell you, though, but I'm going to say, because, you know, some people will not give their fried chicken. So give up their fried chicken. But I would say is. Well, take off this, the fry, the skin off of one of them and then just have the other one. But because it's all about moderation. So I think that's one of the things that's helped me to be successful in, in people listening to implying is, you know, people say, oh, well, cut out salt completely. You know, you do too much salt. You can't just go from zero to 100 just like that. People are going to fall short or they'll do it for four days. But then after a week, it's, you know, just like people's New Year's resolution to lose weight. They're, they're, they go strong in January, come February, they've fallen off. So it's, it's about meeting people where they're at, because I know where, where, where we're at. I know sometimes the, the tightness or lack of resources. I know what you're working with. You're, you know, considering budget resources in your community. If you live in a food desert, there's no 24 hour fitness or planet, um, uh, planet fitness or 24 hour in your neighborhood, how you can exercise at home. So it's about meeting people where they're at to make being healthy, realistic, given their situations. Like in the nursing world, we would say like individualizing the care plan for your patient's specific needs. So that's what I would take those nursing concepts and apply them to what I did in media, which also set me different from the other health journalists that were out there or the the doctors, which initially in my early in my career, I would get trumped like, oh, nurse Alice, we know, you know, you're, you're very knowledgeable about cardiovascular health, but we're going to have this doctor go on. Well, who's the doctor? Oh, Dr. So-and-so, he's an OBGYN. Oh, you can have OBGYN talk about heart health too. Just because he's so, a doctor. Doctor, doctor. So, but I will say the consistency and me continuing to always tell the, tell stories um, and be willing and available, especially certain topics I'm just extremely passionate about and always being available and kind of fun and engaging and realistic with it, I think was something that sets me different. Uh, and so I was able to then later trump the physician. So I've had a lot of physicians say like, well, why her? She's just a nurse. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. <laughs> no, is, you know, we're, we're all healthcare providers. And I think what people, um, those folks don't understand is, you know, we can go to school and have a lot of credentials and training. And I probably, you know, I have a lot of that too, but it's really about public interest, com community health. And so I don't care how many, if you got 500 letters behind your name, but if you can't uh, translate the evidence, right? Translate it in a way that is digestible and usable for the consumer, then it does us no good. I'm not on TV to sound smart. I'm on TV to help educate and empower people to live healthier lives, to make better 
health decisions for themselves and their families and for the people that they surround themselves with. So that's something that I like to do, educate and empower people. Because you can spew out facts and to-do lists and things like that, but how do you empower someone, inspire someone to want to make the healthier choices given their situations? You got to, you know, inspire people to uh, um, rise above any challenges or obstacles that are there. So those are things that I also like to insert in my messages when I'm talking to people about health. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to piggyback on what you said, too, because I'm also a college professor and I teach nursing. So I teach nursing and CNA students as well. And I, it's funny that you're saying, like, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, so when I'm talking to my nursing students and I always make them explain it to me as like I was the patient because I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah, you know, pharmacology, you know, whatever. But I'm a patient. I don't know that. And it's funny because that is a role that nurses have that we we you don't even know in nursing school that your role is going to be the doctor's going to come in, talk a bunch of gibberish, and then the patient is going to go, mm-hmm, OK, got it. And then as soon as you come in as the nurse, they're like, I didn't understand a word he said. What does this mean? <laughs> so yep. I, that it shows that, you know, that you definitely have that passion because you have to do so much patient education that now that's also spilled over to what you're doing because it came naturally for you because you've been educating patients all this time. So now it's just mm-hmm. like the world is, is, is your patient now. So you can just tell us all, of, yes. all of that stuff to us. So I love that. You guys, I love Nurse Thank Alice doing it, doing it. Doing it. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about next, like you said, you know, cardiovascular health is something really big that you're obviously <laughs> professional and passionate about. So lucky for us, you guys, February is actually American Heart Month and you're going to wear red. You're going to go red, do all of that red stuff for heart awareness. So Nurse Alice, can you tell us about some of the common disparities, especially in the minority community, whenever you're talking about cardiovascular health? Yes. So every year, nearly 700,000 people in the United States die of heart disease. Um, And heart disease, for for the most part, is largely preventable, meaning that if we can have uh, apply some lifestyle changes with diet, exercises, smoking, drinking, stress management, other things, and blood pressure management, that we can uh, largely prevent um, a lot of the um, outcomes or at least delay them for a significant amount of time. And so, and it's a large, it's the leading cause of death. It is a leading cause of death. And I think when we think about heart disease, someone will say, oh, I don't have heart disease. I just have high blood pressure. Well, high blood pressure will lead to heart disease if not properly managed. Um, so many times I've seen people and I've said, okay, so how's your, I'll see a high blood pressure. And I'll say, so how's your blood pressure been? It's good. Well, what's good? Give me some numbers. I don't know. The doctor said it's good. The nurse just said it's good. And so this is one of those times where I'm in, um, trying to inspire people, empower them, but also ask them to have some um, accountability and to actually ask of account of ask their providers to say, I know you said it's good, but what is that number? Uh, what so you know people need to be informed. You can only change things if you're informed on them and know where you start. And now today is one sixty over ninety nine. Yes, exactly. That doesn't mean it's good. That just means that <laughs> right. Right. Good. The word good is relative. 
or it's better. That's relative to what it was before. But, um, you know, so many, so many people have high blood pressure. And I think that's, that is one of the most important things, blood pressure management, lifestyles, diet, and um, exercise activity levels that can prevent a lot of heart disease. But there's all, there's this, even though we know heart disease is leading cause of death, there's even disparities in diseases, guys. Um, and what people may not know is that women actually are often misdiagnosed or undiagnosed when it comes to heart disease um, and things like heart attacks. And, so, you know, people, some people, they, they get confused when I say that. They're like, what do you mean? Men are the ones that always are the ones that put off going to the hospital. They don't like going to their doctors and things like that. And that women, you know, we're the caretakers usually of the family and getting people to go to their appointments. However, what's when people have heart attacks or experience symptoms of them, everyone thinks like, you know, I think of Sanford and Son. That's how old I am, all y'all. I don't know if y'all know that show. <laughs> oh, it's the big one. I'm coming home. Ethel, here I go. You know, like, you know, that big chest pain, that tight squeezing. And while that is the the most common symptom, some some people when they have heart attacks don't even experience that at all. And that's mostly in women. Women don't always have that, oh my, significant chest pain. They have more vague symptoms like upset stomach, shoulder pain, back pain, those type of things. And I think that because we, we as women don't experience always that large, you know, significant chest pain, we don't go to we don't go to seek care right away. So in the emergency room, I will see women that come in and says, you know, I just have this anxiety, this upset stomach and this shoulder, shoulder pain that just won't go away. And when you ask them how long you've been feeling this, oh, it's been three or four days. She's actually had a heart attack and not realize it because she's delayed going in. So that's one component of it. And something else I have to, I really want the community to know. It's something we have to address. I'm not necessarily proud of it because I work in the health profession, but there are a lot of health professionals that do gaslighting. Someone comes in, you know, maybe maybe a 40-year-old woman who says, oh, you know, I'm having this chest pain. Oh, it must be indigestion. Well, hold up. You didn't even work me up. You didn't do an EKG. You didn't ask me, you know, about my lifestyle or all these other things. Like they, the health provider has already uh, stereotyped what they think this is. So it delays their workup. And so if it is indeed a heart attack, either it gets missed and it gets sent home with some like Maalox or something like that, or when we finally do work them up, they've already been in the ER for seven hours before we've run a troponin or did an EKG. Because, and usually at that point, it's someone who's persistent, like, no, something's wrong. I'm not going home yet. And you're like, fine, let's do an EKG and then we'll get her out of here when it's negative. Oh, shoot. EKG shows, shows some EK, you know, waveform changes. Oh, her troponin level's elevated. Let's go ahead and admit her. But so there's this kind of medical gaslighting that happens in healthcare and it happens in the hierarchy, there's a study that shows that people came in with this this type of pain. White men were listened to the most, got care right away, followed by black men, followed by white women, followed by black women. So the story is women are listened to the least or least believed when they're having this type of chest pain come in the emergency room. Um, but if you're looking at, if you want to be more specific, it's black women who are less likely to be listened to. So I really empower people to, you know, you're the patient, the per, you're the boss. You're the, I know some people, some providers will disagree with this, but the patient is your boss for, uh, for that encounter, because without you, you wouldn't have any work. Now I know there are other patients, but in this encounter, they're coming to you with a complaint, an issue, 
we have to do our due diligence and make sure we checked off all the the whole list of what could this be and not just um, assume what it is. Or and I know we we as healthcare providers we we kind of have these stereotypes in our head, not really meant for bad, meant for good, so it can expedite us getting to a diagnosis. But sometimes because of implicit bias and other things, it takes us down the wrong pathway. And because of that, patients don't get the medical workup that they need. So when I go back to my story about how my dad died of sudden cardiac arrest in the hospital, um, and that was even, you know, where racism was even more, I wouldn't say more, probably, it was probably the same prevalence, but, you know, there's definitely disparities in the quality of care. And so I believe, although I could just tell myself this story, that if he'd got the the proper attention um, and treatment workup, uh, out, even the outpatient education, that he could have had uh, a different outcome than what he did that day. Oh, no, I totally agree. I, I, I think that, too. I have a family member, and I remember being younger, and she died um, um, with childbirth, and they actually, they, they realized that she had gestational diabetes and that she like that nobody was even thinking that that's why her legs were swollen. They didn't think, you know, like it was just all these things that I heard as an adult that had become a nurse. And when I was hearing the story about, yeah, and her, her legs were so big and I'm like, so nobody knew she had high blood pressure, preeclampsia. Nobody knew she had gestational diabetes because they tried to do like they tried to save the baby and the baby was like 10 pounds and at like 30 weeks. So, you know, I'm already thinking all of these things. But again, nobody thought about that stuff back then. They were just like, oh, well, something was wrong. Or, or you know, I'm from the South. So they were like, well, the Lord didn't, you know, he was protecting her from from what was going to be wrong with the baby. And I was like, well, no, she just probably had gestational diabetes. (laughs) Like, you know, but nobody thought to poke her finger or do those types of tests back then. They just were like, "Mm, throw down the river. So I'm I'm happy that you brought that up. And just to reiterate what Nurse Alice said for you guys, because see, I'm taking notes, Nurse Alice. One, you need to have a proactive approach when you go to the doctor and you need to be taking accountability and you need to say, what was my blood pressure? So when that lady, and I do it myself, like I just went for a procedure and she took my blood pressure and she was like, oh, everything. I was like, what is it? Because <laughs> I don't get Yes. <laughs> so I was like, you don't even get to see the blood pressure machine. It's faced a whole other direction. Hold on. Let me see. What does the machine say? Yes. That's and- what you really... Mm-hmm. And that's what she did. She was like, okay, it's good. And I was like, what is, what is it? Like, what is, you know, whatever. And then she was like, oh, it's 104. Over. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. But cause her definition of good might be 128 or 130 or I don't know what. So make sure that you are writing those numbers down. I can't tell you how many times I even just as a practicing nurse, I don't anymore, but I would always be like, well, what was your last blood pressure? Mm, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, next time, you know, write it down. So I love that. And also, Nurse Alice, can you one more time give us some stuff? Because like I said, as women, I feel like I have this obligation <laughs> to help all my fellow women. And I know for a fact, two women just last year that died of heart attacks. Like in one was, I think mm. she was 50 
And then one was, is like my age that I, I, like, I think I went to high school, graduated with her or I went to high school, whatever. So she's like my age. And so y'all don't need to know how old I am. Just know she's my age. But uh, so can you kind of just go down those symptoms one more time for women that are listening? Right. So um, again, we'll say that, you know, having chest pain, that chest pain, that tightness around the chest, elephant on your chest, that is the most common symptom. However, not everyone has that. So other symptoms could be maybe you're feeling what, uh, like an indigestion, maybe you're feeling some abdominal pain, some just upset stomach. You can have some pain usually in the back between your shoulder blades, or maybe it radiates to like your left shoulder. Um, those and maybe some anxiety. So th- those are very vague. Those can be a lot of things. You get me upset enough and I can feel those things. All right. My kids can really get on my nerves sometimes and I feel those things, but it's something that's important and you shouldn't dismiss subtle symptoms like that. And I know, especially as women, we got to, you know, drop the kids off to of school. We got a disappointment. We got to, you know, the plumbers coming for this. Like we're, we're so busy doing life things that we dismiss subtle symptoms thinking, oh, it'll go away in a while. It'll go in a way in a while. And the truth is, those are signs that we really need to pay attention to, to our body. Your body's talking to you. Your body's talking to you and it wants you to seek care or attention. If you think it is something that's, uh, you know, indigestion, take some Maalox right then in there. Okay, didn't go away. Well, then that gets you, uh, th- that's further reinforcement for some people that, okay, something else is bothering me. That is such great information. Thank you so much, Nurse Alice. I see exactly why everyone wants to hear your expert opinion and why you doing all kind of big stuff and everyone has you on all the platforms because that was a lot of information. I love that you gave us the specifics, especially for the women population. Hopefully, you know, that will help reduce uh, maybe some women that are going to have higher risk or some women that are going to be having a heart attack or whatever. Like if you're feeling crazy, if you're feeling that indigestion, if you're feeling those symptoms, do not dismiss them. Make sure you are getting your medical treatment. And I thought that was a very good thing that you also said, Nurse Alice, that advice that you said was treat the symptom first. Don't let it grow into something. So if you feel like it's a symptom, go get checked out, take something for it. That way you can dismiss it yourself instead of, you know, it's just sitting there and festering. And then now they think that's what it is. So I love that point. I love that point. So Nurse Alice, do you have any final things that you want to leave us with? And also tell us again where people can get in contact with you, anything that you're working on and where they can see you, all of that great stuff, how we can support you. Yes, I think some of my kind of final closing words to everyone is just really, you know, really, really take the moment to, you know, think, reflect on your health and wellness. You know, we have so many reasons why we want to be here, so many things that we want to do in life. And the only way we're going to be able to do that and with the quality of life is if we take care of ourselves. So it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's not selfish. You're not going to look silly if you call your provider or send them an email asking about your health. You know, make sure you're doing your annual wellness appointment. And if there's something that you don't understand, ask them to explain it to you. And if it don't make sense, tell them that didn't make sense. Can you explain it another way? You know, we're, we're really here to help you. And I just want people to understand that you're the boss, you're in the driver's seat. And if I'm your healthcare provider and you don't understand what I'm saying, then there's something wrong. So really, really feel empowered to take charge of your health and understand it. Um, now, as far as kind of what I'm working on, I'm all over the place. So obviously um, I'm on NBC4 Los Angeles. 
on television there. You can visit their website. Uh, I have tons of health information there. And I'm on all social media platforms at Ask Nurse Alice. And I have a website, AskNurseAlice.com. I made it simple. I made it simple for people to find me, Ask Nurse Alice. And I do answer my DMs. Um, so if you have a health question, although, you know, I'm not necessarily your provider. If you have a question, I could still give you um, some quick advice about, you know, hey, make sure you follow up with your healthcare provider. This is something that's serious, um, you know, just like I would a friend. And so I like to consider the community an extended family a friend. If you don't feel like you can talk to your healthcare provider, you know, call 911, get a different healthcare provider, ask someone, but don't sit there in silence and think that something's going to go away because they usually don't. Um, but I'm also working on some other things with nurse.org, um, chief of nursing officer at nurse.org. So I do a podcast there. It's called the Ask Nurse Alice Podcast. Um, talk about some general health things, but a lot of it is healthcare professional type of things. Um, so if you're someone in the healthcare profession or you know someone who wants to enter the healthcare profession, please shoot them over that way. That'd be great. And um, what else am I working on? I have some television things that are in the background that I'm working on. Hopefully we'll, they'll come to fruition um, very soon, but maybe I'll come back on Holly. We'll talk about it when, when we get closer to those, those moments, but I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> I know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I'm, I'm available to people. And that's one of the things that, you know, I don't think my, my dad had, or even, Many people don't feel like they have someone they can reach out to. They feel like it's always going to be a doctor's visit and a copay. Well, I'll just say this. Your life is worth the copay. Your quality of life is worth the copay. You being around for your, your daughter's wedding and your son's graduation, that's worth the copay. So I just really want people to feel empowered to take charge and ask questions because, again, you're the boss. We work for you. Okay, great closing words, great closing words. Yes, because we didn't have time today because we were talking about some other stuff, but I wanted to, to um, next time we'll have to talk about the staffing issue because I made the mistake of commenting on one of Nurse Alice's posts and, and everyone was trying to come for me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, y'all got me effed up because this is not what's happening here. So. I had to I had to go off on a few people, not off, but you know, respectfully. But I was like, mm, okay, interesting. So yeah, I would love to have some some discussions about some of those uncomfortable topics or controversial topics. So yeah, we definitely have to have Nurse Alice back, you guys. She's full of knowledge and super, super cool. So I love that. So thank you, Nurse Alice. Thanks for having me, Holly. And uh, anytime, I'll be happy to come back.